Dude, good morning. Welcome to the Church of Church of Rushes Park. And let me put my microphone on because it's one of those days apparently. All right. I was a little flustered. All right. How is that? Is that better? Can we all hear each other? Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus, build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. Of course, I'm Pastor Aaron, and I'm thrilled to have you with us today as we start our new series. I love my church, but even more as we celebrate our risen Savior because he is risen. Yes, he is, and that changes everything. And today we're going to talk about how we can love church, but first, why we love church? Because God loves church and how great that is. And as we begin, we have a memory verse for this series, 1 Corinthians three seventeen. Something that may sound strange right now, but I promise you by the end of this series is going to be very, very meaningful. And so I'd like you just to say it along with me a few times, and we'll get into the message and actually be talking a lot about this today. So here we go, three, two, one. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple 1 Corinthians 3.17. All right, again. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. 1 Corinthians 3.17. Now let's see how awake we are this morning. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. 1 Corinthians 3.17. Wonderful. Now, on your connection card, there is a Bible memory verse uh, card that's attached to that. And if you would like to, just take that off. Take it with you. And uh, opportunity to not just remind yourself of this portion of God's Word, but also think about what it means throughout the week. It's a great way to put God's Word into our lives and to our heart. Now, if you have that, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3 because that's where we read that passage. I always like to do little bit of context like what what is he talking about when he says that you are that temple now first corinthians is a book written by paul church of corinth which was kind of a naughty church like they they had they didn't do it right it was a little bit messed up like most churches it wasn't perfect like all churches and paul writes to them and in the first letter of corinthians they had some wacky things going on And they had some bad ideas of what made Christians Christians and all those kinds of things and what was the most important thing. And uh, at this time, they were actually arguing uh, as to who had the better pastor, right, as as they were in it. And that's the context in which that they were really in there. And they were like, uh, in verse 5 at the top of the, if you're in one of our Bibles here, the top of the page, and it says, um, uh, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants of whom, uh, through whom you came to believe. Right? So there are these different pastors. There's Apollos, there's Paul, and all of these different churches were arguing as to say, who's got the best pastor? Not realizing that we're on the same team. Right? And of course, 2,000 years later, we're a whole lot better. We don't argue as to who has better pastor, like our church, or, or maybe Mountain View, or, or Summit, or Rocky, right? Because we all know the best pastor's here. We, we get that. Right? <laughs> Well, here's the thing. We can make the wrong thing the main thing so often that we get distracted. And the devil uses that and ourself uses that and it turns us against each other and everything else. And then we start to mess up the beautiful plan that God has put into our lives, right? We start to, to get distracted and we can actually become to hate the people God brought us in this world to love. Isn't it amazing how little humans have changed? Don't we need a little bit of, I don't know, generational, transformational discipleship? Something that 
that begins to change us at our heart and our lives? Well, in this book and then throughout Scripture, God teaches us a better way to live. And Paul addresses this, this small-minded faith. And he connects us back into something more important. He reminds us at first who we are. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, right? And this is what it said in context, if you want to read that, the passage that we memorized. Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That's a huge deal. Especially, memorize, that, that, that the temple at this time was still there. The temple in Jerusalem still existed, right? And, and people would go to that temple to connect with God. They didn't understand, a lot of the Jewish people didn't understand yet, that the Messiah had come, the sacrifice had been met. But when he talks about a temple, he's talking about something that was very real. And he says, wait a second. As beautiful and as powerful and as holy as that temple is, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? It's brothers and sisters, we say this morning he is risen and he is risen indeed. Yes, he is, but he is not gone. He has left with us his Holy Spirit. That we are not alone. And God's spirit is here. And then he goes on to say, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. Now God is everywhere. I get that, right? He's omnipresent. It's one of those things, one of those omnis that we give to God. It means he's everywhere, omni all over the place. And so we recognize that he's always been omnipresent. That's part of the nature of God. So why have a temple? Well, it's not that God isn't everywhere. That not that we would say God is with us, because he is. He's everywhere. But the temple is a place that we can be with God. The temple was the place where God made himself available to unholy people like you and me. That's why the temple is such an important thing. It's a place that we can actually connect with him. Which is why I think it's ridiculous when people say, my church is going hiking on Sunday. I'm sorry, but that's not church. God is on the mountains. We can see the mountain. But we connect to God where God has set up his place to connect with him. That's how we commune with him. The church is a new temple. You together are that temple. There is something holy and beautiful about the church. Something amazing that God has done here for us that we celebrate today amongst all other days. That God created a space. Aren't you glad you don't have to get on a jet and fly to Jerusalem? Actually, we're going to do that in a little while, and it's going to be awesome, and I hope you join me. But isn't it amazing that we could commune with God? That God has come and His Spirit is within our midst. That we can come together and be something greater than we would ever be apart. And we didn't do this ourselves. Do you know that most of us are pretty much... Look at our worship service this morning. Was that a train wreck? Like, even me, I didn't have my microphone on. Like, we are messed up humans. Our best efforts, we trip all over ourselves, and yet God would come and make us something beautiful. Think of this. God loves his church. This is one of the reasons why we should love church, is that God loves his church. Easter is evidence that God loves his church. How much does God love his church? Well, there's another book that Paul wrote to another church, which was a much healthier church at the time he wrote it the church of Ephesus. And he writes to this church in Ephesus, and he says, 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. If you want to see how much God loves the church, ask me how much I love my wife. I would lay down my life for her. I live my life to make sure that she is safe and happy and loved and provided for and protected. In this way, we can understand that God is passionate about his church. In fact, the the Bible is filled with ways that God loves his church. It's one of the reasons that we read it. It is really encouraging. Aren't you happy to know that God actually loves you? That he's for us and not against us? That God is our provider and defender and protector and, and companion. That God loves us deeply. But you know, even though the scripture is filled with all kinds of ways that God loves his church, even in just this passage, I'm going to share three just this morning about how Christ loves the church and why that's important for us. And the first way that we see that God loves his church, right even from this passage, is that he came and he makes us alive. The reason that the church is different than every other institution is that Jesus came and he makes this group alive. His spirit is here. There are a body of people all over the place, right? You have student bodies and you have, you know, different bodies of government and things like that. Guess what's not in any of those? The spirit of God, right? And have you ever seen a body without a spirit? What is it? Dead. And this is why the things in this world, all the stuff that we put together, it's okay, it's there, but it's not ever going to be active, changing, growing, alive. The church is different. It's why the church has been around 2,000 years and continues to grow. Jesus makes us alive. Look at that passage. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ gave the church and gave himself up for her. This is how come we are alive. We know that there aren't any perfect people. I mean, at least I know that. Do you guys know that? Right? There's, there's not any. Which is why, you know, when somebody asks me and they're saying, I'm, I'm looking for the perfect church, I'm like, well, if you find it, don't go there. Right? You'll mess it up. Right? The thing is that there's nobody who is absolutely perfect. God didn't come to save the perfect people. He didn't come to save the beautiful people. He came to save the dead people and to give them life. Romans 3.23 tells us this. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A lot of us know that passage. Some of this may be new to you. You're like, what, I've sinned? Yeah! Welcome to humanity. Everybody. Me, the Pope, your really nice neighbor. Everybody has sinned, even your grandma. Everybody. And here's the thing. This was a really profound moment when I realized this in Scripture. Sin is not doing evil. So many times we think of sin as as doing what is bad. That's not sin. Sin is replacing God's will with our own. That's what sin is. And ultimately, that is what is evil. Sin is what's doing what's right in our own eyes and saying, I'm going to follow me instead of God. Sin is treason against the king of the universe. And what is the penalty of treason? Death. And which one of us here can honestly say in our life we have always done what God has wanted us to do because God wanted us to do it. Have any of us ever followed our heart? Yeah, I'm not the only one. For all have sinned. And when we've done that, we fell short of the glory of God. We've, we've waged war with the King of Heaven. Romans 5.8 then says, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
What king would lay down his life for those who are attempting a coup? This is what we celebrated on Friday. It's why we call it good, even though everything about Friday seems so wrong. That the God of the universe, the immortal one, becomes mortal, lives amongst us so we can see and know who he is, and we murder him. And he does, he lays himself down, he doesn't fight back. God was taking the death penalty we deserve. That is love. And any man who loves his wife knows exactly what I'm talking about, what, what Christ was feeling when he saw his church in danger. I wouldn't blink before I would trade my life for my wife's. I would lay my life down for her instantly, without a second thought. Even if she was in the wrong, and typically she is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I'm the one that's usually in the wrong, and right there is an example. But while I was still a sinner, she loves me. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't just die. He died for your sins. When we look at the cross and we see the blood that flows down there and we see the separation and the anguish and all of the torture and all the brokenness that happens there, we recognize that he's there because of me. But not just because of me. Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He died for our sins. He didn't come just to save you. That passage that we have in Ephesians 5, he laid his life down for what? The church. And you together are the temple. That Jesus came to save us, to make us into something. And he didn't just come to save us. The second thing that Jesus does, it shows he loves the church, is he came and he makes us holy. Look at the passage again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy. There's a purpose for this. Jesus didn't come just to save you because you're a stinker, just like me. And aren't you glad he didn't leave you this way forever? What is holiness? Holiness means to be set apart, to be different. The temple in Jerusalem was a holy place. There was a place in the temple, was called the most holy place, and only one guy once a year could go in that, and even before he did that, he had to sacrifice animals and to go in with the blood so that there was like, these animals died on my behalf, so I can now come before you. He had to go into a mikvah and become spiritually clean, right, to, to have this, uh, to make sure that he was ritually right with God before he would even represent his people, and then create, bring sacrifice for the people's sins with a day of atonement. And that was that holy place, the one place humanity could come and commune with God once a year. And here's the thing, outside of that one place that only one man could come, there was a room where only a very few number of Levitical priests could be there. They had the right to even be in that space. And outside of that was a space that only the people that were in the right kind of tribe would be. And outside of that was only the people that were the men of that right kind of tribe. And outside of that, then some women could come. And outside of that, then... From a distance, those like most of us Gentiles could look from a distance and say, wow, that's where people can meet with God. Holiness, set apart. You don't just barge into God's holy room. Do you barge into your boss's office, like kick down the door and just put your feet on his desk? If you're Carissa, yes, but everybody else. <laughs> she's, she's our wonderful office administrator. We wouldn't do that. 
You don't just walk into the governor's office or the president's office. You don't just get to do such things. Those places are set apart. And where God is is a holy space. It's so holy that the angels themselves won't even touch the ground. They don't even look at God in his face. And we dare, as those who committed crimes against the Almighty, to go to his place to commune with him? Yeah. But before we do that, God has got to make us different. He saved us and he purified us, but now he's done something even better as he set us apart. Where is it that the world can commune with God? You are the temple. God put us here not just to be a, a righteous, better than all these other kind of people kind of place. God brought us together so the world could, could finally come back to him because he loves us. And he loves this world, and so he made us different. He set us apart. The church is amazing. 1 Corinthians 3.17, God's temple is sacred. There is something special about this. When we come together on Easter, there's something special about our, our fellowship. We're not just a group of people. We are God's church. But he laid his life down for that he purified us and set us apart to be the one place in the entire world that those who live on the outside can finally come and get to know God for who he is, to commune with him, and for us to commune with him. Think how amazing that is. And just as it was in, in the Holy of Holies, God's spirit is here. We don't have like a hotline to God. God dwells amongst us. Think of this. God elevates the church. We're just a group of just common people from Estes Park, right? Some of us are a little better than other people that we would kind of judge on our own morally, right? We would say that, and then some people might be better intellectually or some might be better looking, right, and all those kinds of things. And we judge each other like some have better pastors than other ones. Like we judge each other in all these ways, but God says, I made you and I made you perfect for my church, and I want you here. And when you are here, you are made into something amazing. You are elevated. And he calls us some amazing things. He, do you know what God calls us in the word? He says, you're going to be my nation. You get to be my kingdom. And then when all throughout the world, right, people are all partisan for all kinds of things. He says, if you want to be partisan for something, be partisan for the kingdom of God. You used to be against it. Now you are part of it. But if that's not enough, he draws us closer. He says, guess what? You're not just part of my kingdom. You are my family. And we're not like second cousins. He calls us his children. In fact, he doesn't just call us his children because the truest thing that will ever be said about you is what God says about you. We are his children. That's why in 1 John, the, the, the apostle himself is overcome by the, the enormity of that truth says that we are God's children. Yes, and that is really what we are. That God loves you like a parent loves their child. But if that wasn't enough, he says that we as the church are the bride of Christ. And that was a passage that we just read. He loves us, cares for us, is, is enamored of his bride. If that wasn't enough, calls us his own body he identifies us so much with us he says whatever you do in this world you're finishing my work 
You represent me. I'm your head, right? And, and each part of you, every one of you was made perfectly to do something as part of this body. You have something to function. You have something to, to, to add. And if that wasn't close enough, of course, he calls us his temple. The holiest place on earth is here. And because of that, it shouldn't surprise us that God loves his church so much. He doesn't just, he doesn't just save us. Right? He doesn't just make us holy. God makes us beautiful. I think a lot of times in our lives, we've been so judged by the world, and sometimes by ourselves, that we know our own faults better than anybody. Right? Have you ever looked in the mirror and saw that one you know, blemish that no one else can see, but it's the only thing you can see? Yeah. We do that every single day, don't we? We do with all of the things in our hearts and our lives. We see how broken we are. And we wonder how anybody could love us because we see how unlovely that we are ourselves. But God doesn't see us that way. He starts out, that's the way we were. But look at this passage again. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the, through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus didn't just save you. He didn't just make us holy together. He transforms us. He makes us something beautiful. And that transformation is, is a word that Christians would call discipleship. It's a process of learning to follow Christ. And as we do that, he transforms us. And we use this word called sanctification, which is really just a fancy way of saying God turning us into saints. And if that doesn't surprise you or like just blow your mind, like Saint Aaron that just seems very silly to me. But that's what God's turning me into, which is why we are transformational disciple makers, because that is what God does. He takes us where we are, and he works the ugly out as he replaces it with great beauty. There are things in my spirit when I was first a Christian. Rage. I had a short temper. Right? I, a really short temper. Right? I was really, really filled with pride, which meant my life surrounded around me and I would use other people to get what I wanted this was who I was now there was good things about me I still had a decent sense of humor I think so it wasn't like a horrible but I was pretty bad and you know what happened the longer I followed Christ is he's begun transforming me and the evidence of his spirit in my life the Holy Spirit in my life is what God calls fruit right the evidence of it and there's one love and there's joy and there's peace and there's patience and gentleness and goodness and kindness. You know that I used to have this horrible temper. I was afraid of it. I used to punch my friends and do kind of bad things because I was just I would just lose my temper. And then when you lose your temper, you lose it. Like you, it's, you're not under control anymore. It's like when your dog gets off a leash. You're like, what do I do now? God gave me one of the fruits of the spirit is self control. And it happened so, just subtly, like fruit growing on a tree. I didn't have to strive for it. I didn't make hard effort for it. It was something that God began to grow in my life. Until the point that most people don't think of me as a rageful, awful person. God's transforming me. And he's not done yet. You know, he's working in you too. If you're a follower of his, he's transforming you. He didn't just save you and be like, well, we're going to put up with you forever. He's making you into the best version that you could ever possibly be, and then some. 
He's making you beautiful. But not just you. He's making us beautiful. God is at work amongst his church. In fact, the church is the greatest source of good and the for force of good in the entire world, by far. You want to talk about who helps more orphans? By far, the church. How about health care? Where do you think hospitals even came from? The church. Who started universities? The church. You know, the church is responsible for more people becoming literate than any other institution in the history of the world, if you add it all together. That's pretty amazing. The church elevates people. The church has elevated society. The church helps. It turns us away from selfish pursuits into selfless pursuits where we can grow and help in community. The church makes the world beautiful and God makes the church beautiful. And he does it because he's in it. And so what is the church? This institution, this thing that God loves so much because it says present her to himself. What's the her? It's the church. What is the church? Church simply means it's assembly. But it's not just any assembly. It's the assembly of believers. You can't be a church on your own. That's impossible because you can't assemble by yourself. Can you imagine the Avengers movie, the last one or whatever, when there's like, Avenger, assemble. That would be stupid. The church assembles. But it's not just an assembly of believers. Scripture tells us that it's an assembly of Christians. We have, we have certain structures, right? God has designed us to operate and to look a certain way because we represent him. The church is an institution, yes, but it's a family. We have pastors and elders and deacons and ministers, which are all of you, myself included. The church is what God came, Christ came. He died for and he rose again. And on this Easter Sunday, if you want to celebrate the heart of, of what God wants, if you want to, to celebrate what Jesus did, love what Jesus loves. He loves you. He loves us. He loves the church. So Jesus makes the church alive. Are you looking for life? You know what the amazing thing is? Living things grow. You ever notice that? Once you stop growing, you start dying. Living things grow. God's alive in you, and you are going to, where you are today, you're going to continue to grow. And growing things change. God transforms us. God is dynamic. His spirit is here. Now, you can be saved and be separate from the church, and God still loves you. But you're missing out, and the church is missing you. Jesus didn't just die so that you could have your wonderful life and a great walk on a, on a hillside. He died so that he could make you holy and make you beautiful, and he did that in the context of us. So be part of it. He makes the church alive. He will make you alive as you connect. He makes you holy. The world needs God. Have you ever recognized that? Estes Park, we pray for it all the time. Our nation, we pray for it all the time. Our world, we pray for it all the time. Our families, we pray for them all the time. Where are they going to find and meet God? The temple. And you are together, are that temple. You're sacred. And God is making us beautiful. In other words, we would say this. Jesus would say, I love my church. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. And here's some good news. He's coming back. And who's he going to take back with him when he returns? His church. To God, the church is worth dying for. To God, the church is captivatingly beautiful. 
And God wants you to be part of it. And, and as we go through this series, you're going to see how God makes us alive, how he makes us holy, how he makes us beautiful, how he, he takes us and, and he elevates us and puts us into this world to do great and amazing things as he transforms us from the inside out. But amongst all those other things, I want you to hear this, that God wants you to be part of it. God loves you. In the next four weeks, I mean, we saw that video at the beginning. Isn't that how a lot of us feel like when we come back to church? Like, oh, I feel so bad that I haven't been there. And the church is like, yes, we love you. And like be overbearing and all that kind of stuff. And you feel shame. That's not what it's like at all. If you want to know what it's like coming back to church, read the story of the prodigal son. That God is here to welcome you with open arms. Regardless of anything in the past, he says, I love you. And I want you to be part of this. He's going to make you alive. Make you holy and transform you as he makes you beautiful as well. So what? Well, it's the greatest thing in the entire world. It's why Easter is the greatest of all days. It's why we have such great joy that our God died, but he rose again. He proved this, that he left his Holy Spirit with us so we could have all of these things. But what about you in your life? If everything I said today, you're like, Aaron, that's really nice, but it doesn't move you to do anything, then so what? But I have some so what's for you. Some ways to take some next steps for the Lord. I, I gave you these green connection cards. Actually, not me personally. We have really nice people who back there gave those to you. They're in your bulletin. And on there, there's, there's some next steps for you. And some of the things I'm going to say, there are ways I'd like you to, to take a step closer to God, to connect with him, to really celebrate what God has done. And the first one is to memorize 1 Corinthians 3.17. That God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Don't let the world tell you you're not something special. God sees you as the apple of his eye. He wants you to be part of this. You want to be something that he made you for? Here. Something else I encourage you to do, why don't you read 1 Corinthians this week? Because just like 1 Corinthians was a church that was kind of messed up, pretty much all of us pretty much messed up. That's why it's a book for us. And you can see God's goodness and his grace and his how he focuses back onto the right things in this book. If you want to see what it looks like for God making a, a people holy, read that book. If he can make the Corinthians holy, he's got a good shot of making you holy too. Another thing I'm going to challenge you to do is why don't you attend the next four weeks? If you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you just to, you know, to join us. But if you're not, you want to see what is it like? What does it mean? Why should I even care about the church? Because we're going to talk about next, not just that God loves the church, but there are a lot of reasons why we love our church as well. Why don't you just come and join us in the next four weeks? We would love to have you a part of this. Or if you're here and you're a follower of Christ and you need a church family, a church home, I want to welcome you home, but I want to do it in the right way because I know you have questions. What does this church believe? How are we structured? What are we all about? And I'd like to invite you to join me for our next membership class, which can be on May 2nd. And during that time, of course, we'd love you to come here and see what we are about and what we are like. But we want to help you connect the church that Jesus died for, that he rose for, and he's doing great things in. Now, in just a minute, the worship band's going to come out, and we're going to sing a song of commitment. Now, as we do, I'd like you to take those connection cards, and on the back side, let me know what your commitments are so I can pray for you. If you've got prayer requests, let me know what those are so that I can pray for you this week. And at the end of the message, at the back of the, of the uh, foyer there, there's a box, and take your connection card, please, and put that in, the, in the, uh, that basket or that box along with your tithes and your offerings be a way for us to continue to serve you throughout the week. As you decide what connections or what next steps you would like to take, let me just offer this prayer over you. You can pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you for the fact that you came to this earth and put on flesh, that you died for us while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies. While we deserved your wrath, you gave us your kindness. Lord, and then you didn't just abandon us, but then you came back and you've left with us your Holy Spirit and you didn't just do that, but you've made us into your church. Lord, you're making us holy. You're making us beautiful. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray a blessing over all those who have come today as they commune and connect with you here in this space. May they sense your presence and your leading and your love for them in their lives. God, we're going to make commitments today to follow you, not as a legalistic act, but, Father, as a step towards you. Lord, help us to take those steps this week in a way that we will find you. Father, bless those. Bless our tithes and offerings as well. They're just signs of our worship, centering our lives on you, for you alone are worthy. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.